Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast with Rob Lewis, Austin Price, and Jesse Simonton. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us on this Tuesday of Georgia Week. This time a year ago, Jeremy Pruitt was getting choked up at a press conference um, because his team had fought the way that he wanted them to fight. The question is, do they have what kind of fight are they going to have Saturday against uh, what he says is a better Georgia team? And I think we would agree, all agree that this is a better Georgia team than a year ago. It's it's a little bit different, you know. the The offense it's still obviously predicated on on downhill running the ball, giant offense. I mean, they get, they have you know four F one fifties that on you know lining up on the offensive line. Uh, but it's a veteran quarterback, and defensively, I thought some of Pruitt's comments on Monday were semi interesting. Just kind of comparing what he does versus what Kirby does, because personnel, Georgia's just a deeper and bigger football team, so what? they run more traditional three four. Uh, now with kind of some new flavor with, with Dan Lanning, a defensive coordinator, that they're pressuring more. They have a young front seven, but, but you know, it's got some talent. Are they the most talented front? I mean, I guess Auburn's the most talented front seven in the league. I think so. I, Auburn's, I would say Auburn has, definitely, has, I think, has the, the best front four. When you include linebackers, Georgia is probably – that, that's when they leapfrog the Tigers. You think they're there. one and two, though, those two teams? I mean, yes. I think we put Auburn and Georgia's front Especially seven ahead of them. having to play some young Yeah, ahead of Alabama, right? Dylan Moses out. The, the, to me, the thing that jumps out, Rob, about Georgia's front seven is just how aggressive and how how forward they play. I mean, they, they play on your side of the line of scrimmage. I mean, Coach Pruitt talked about the increased number of TFLs and sacks that they have. I mean, they're just – they're much more – to me, they come across much more of an attacking defense this year than we've seen in previous years. Yeah, I mean, I think that just kind of speaks to the confidence they have in the back end. And I don't know how – you know, I mean, Ian Book can throw it a little bit. I mean, Notre, you know, Notre Dame, I don't know how much speed they have on the perimeter. But, I mean, if, I think if you're going to beat Georgia, I mean, it's kind of, you know, not rocket science. You're going to have to make some plays down the field in the passing game. I mean, you're going to have to be able to, you know, beat one-on-one coverage on the perimeter. You're going to have to block them up front, which – I don't know that anything I just said there is Tennessee's strength. <laughs> yeah, and, no, and Notre Dame, I mean, team, Georgia's one of two teams in the country. Cole Kubiak, I think, tweeted this out the other day. Georgia and Iowa are the only two teams in the country that haven't allowed a rushing touchdown. And the Irish just gave up on They didn't even the try. I mean, they, yeah. They didn't even, I mean, first and goal at the two and didn't yeah. even try. Four, like, four, we're going to throw it four straight times. Four straight passes. And Georgia is beat up a little bit at cornerback, but as Jeremy said, I mean, that's why they have depth, and that's why you know that they, they are where they are um, in relation to kind of his rebuild, you know, going on here. Well, and, and again, everybody wants to compare rebuilds, and, and this is not an, I'm not defending Jeremy Pruitt for being one and three because this team and this program has no business being one and three right now. I will say this: it's unfair comparison of Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart because of what Kirby Smart inherited. It's a football team that had won 10 games previous two years and decided it's and oranges. You know, it's decided it decided Mark Rick they had had enough and they were moving on. So Well they they were and it was a defense that already had his system in too. Yes. You know, which I don't think a lot of people really examine that, but when he came in, a lot of the terminology was the same, style Jeremy of play was the same. You know, so he, he inherited a much better situation. There's nobody can debate that or, or really deny that in any way, shape, or form. But let, let's get to, the, to this game a little bit from, from the standpoint of the quarterback matchup. I don't think any of us was, or the quarterback decisions for Tennessee. I don't think anybody was surprised Jeremy Pruitt said nothing on Monday and he's going to play the quarterback situation uh, close to his vest, doesn't want to give anything away. If you're, if you're Jeremy Pruitt, what are you doing this week? 
if, if you if you don't if you still think that the floor of your team, which I would agree with, is higher with JG than play, than just completely going with one or both freshmen, then I would de- go into the game plan with the expectation of playing two guys, being JG and Maurer, and having a package, but not just like a run only package, but having a real scripted package for Maurer to come in the game in. Not garbage time, not whatever, but a time that actually mattered. Yeah, I mean, are you starting, Jared? I, I, I don't know. I mean, like I could, you can make a case for you know either way, but I know that in talking to some people, just the amount of mistakes that that Brian made, and that's to be expected. Um, you know, against Florida, I think it's really troublesome, especially this week against you know against Georgia. I guess my biggest thing we talked about this during the locker room Sunday night is. You know, you're gonna throw out. If, if I'm Jeremy Pruitt, I'm gonna put out there whoever whoever gives me the best chance to win. And if that's JG, because you know he understands and makes less mistakes, then it's JG. But if it's a guy like Brian Mauer, because the team is, you know, really you know invested in him and 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 you know he's really kind of grab got a lot of kids gravitating towards him. I, I'm not worried about you know what looks good, what don't look good. I mean, rolling JG out is gonna be the unpopular pick amongst fans. Um, so, I mean, but if you feel like it makes him the best chance to win, I'd say I roll out there Saturday because you, you got to win games. you got to find a way to compete. Tennessee's not winning this game anyway. I mean, I'd, play, I'd start JG. I, I'd play him both. On I, a short leash. First time he throws a pick, first time he stares a guy down. First time he – First time he gets a delay first game. First time he throws a swing quarter. pass. Just, I mean, short leash. Because, I mean, we – I don't – I just don't – I mean, I, I don't see it. I mean – I'm still – I'm honestly, I'm surprised he's here. I, 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 you know, to me, if but he you, hadn't lost his job. I mean, he has. I mean, look, he got taken out of the game to start the second half, and they went back to him. I think to to your point, had, had he been sent to the showers at the half, and and it would have been Mauer and Shroud the rest of the way, I think his approach would have been different. Because there's a, if, um, there's probably some in his camp going, "See, <laughs> you tried. I'm the best you got." Okay, I got to play better, but I'm the best you got. That's why you went back to me. Well, and, I, you and, know, again, and where's he going to go right now? What's he going to? I mean, just set it home and shut it down. Well, I don't I, think I, he's going to do that. Well, I don't disagree. I'm just saying it's, that's the nature of all kids now. Is you know when you can, when they start to see the writing on the wall, they dip out. And you know how can you not say that you've seen some writing on the wall from you know those three series in, in Gainesville? But I would say what's different in his case and what we see around the country is he's already redshirted and he's already graduated. So he's not he's not buying himself a year by leaving last week. Right, and it's not. I mean, Quentin Dormady. I see your point. You're right. That is the nature of kids. But he hasn't lost his job. He may very well. I mean, we said here. You said starting. You know, Jesse Austin. You said you'd start JG. You said you, Rob that you'd start JG. That's probably the direction I would go. So he quote hadn't lost. It's not like Quentin Dormady got taken out of the game for sliding in a win in week three or whenever he did and lost his job because Butch got mad and yanked him out. And then he did he, – he was done at that point, you know, because I think, that, I think that scenario is a little bit different. I think had J.G. not gone back in the game, then I think the mindset and the approach would be would, – would, his approach would be a different feeling right now. And, and I will say, I mean, I, you know, I wrote the piece during the – we talked about it on the, a little bit in the mailbag pod uh, on Friday. But – it's notable that Maurer kind of does have the backing of his teammates, but from the very, very, very small sample size we've seen from him and Trout, I do, I um, am of the opinion that if Tennessee decides to go full young quarterback, I think they should play both those kids. 
Mauer and Trout. Yeah, I do not. I don't think one. I don't. What well, again? It, it it's noteworthy. There's not enough that, separation. It's, it's noteworthy that Mauer has Mauer the belief. Run. It's noteworthy that Mauer has the belief of his teammates, and I do think that counts for something. But in terms of just because there's a real chance that Trout's not here next year either, and you could be looking at one scholarship guy coming back with the way this is played out. How, how big of a deal? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. One, how, uh, Austin, how big? You mentioned this, and, and Jesse, you followed up with it is the backing, you know, the locker room deal. Do you, I mean, do, I you, do, you, do you feel like that, that there's a bit of a divide that, that's growing there? Or is this just, hey, they're one in three, quarterback's not played well, quarterback gets too much credit, quarterback gets too much blame? Or do you think there's some guys who start to wonder, or starting to wonder a little bit about J.G. internally? Well, I mean, I think it's fairly well known that, you know, Jawan Jennings has never been a big Jerry guy. He wasn't, you know, when, when Quentin was here, even when Quentin had his struggles, he stayed kind of loyal to him. Um, yeah, but, you know, that, but it, he it, may it, be the lone, he may be the, the, out, the outlier on the other side now. He's at his best, I mean. Maybe. You know, I, I think Juwan. I think there's other guys more I, frustrated than no, Juwan. No, 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 no. I'm going there. I, that's okay. why I'm starting with Juwan. Everybody knows okay. his, his history with, with Jarrett. And I think Juwan, this is his last rodeo. It's not like he can go somewhere else. So he's going to make the best of it with whatever he can. And, and I think that's why you've seen him be more of a, you know, just a, a, I mean, he's always been a leader, but more so this year maybe than ever before. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Callaway, I thought it was notable Friday night, you know. I mean, he goes to a high school game to watch Caden Martin play, T. Martin's son at Catholic. Who's his shadow? Brian Maurer. I mean, I you know, I, I think that, you know, that there is – I won't say divide – because I don't think that's the right word, uh, um, but I do think that there is some, you know, definitely some kind of leaning to one way or the other. It's been interesting. I mean, you know, Callaway has made a couple of comments that made you, kinda, which is out of character for kind of wonder a little bit. As Jesse, I think the one comment was something about, you know, Jerry getting himself right with all that he's going through and everything else. Which that was, was after Georgia State. Which was a little pause for like, wait a minute, is there something yeah. else going on we don't we don't know about here? Um, it was a. A bit of an unusual comment, and then he um, followed. I mean, he doubled down post Florida and basically said, you know, Jared getting benched was, you know, but, wake up call type of deal. Yeah. He didn't use that phrase, but he, you but know, it, intimated, the sentiment was the yeah, same. Yeah, intimated as much. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that, there's that's obviously there's obviously mul- multiple dynamic dynamics going on in this locker room night right now. When you talk about guys leaving, I noted it in my you know ten things piece. During the bye week on Friday, Jeremy did a great job a year ago at getting this entire roster to buy in initially because no one knew. And it was, it's a, it, you know, I know it, it wasn't your guys versus my guys, and it was a clean slate. And he got, the, you know, Tennessee had very minimal attrition. Um, but now some hope is lost, and, it's, and he has to, and it's a tough challenge for every coach that comes into a new job, but particularly a first time head coach when you now have accumulated some losses and those guys who bought in and they worked super hard during the off season and they put in all that effort and they're still not playing but you're still not winning it there's a there's a fine line there of you know how you kind of keep some of those guys engaged and it's that's just the reality of human nature and that's the reality of dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids well, that's a great it's a great point in the topic i'll jump off on on that a little bit and go down this road rob i hadn't really thought about this until Jesse started talking about it. We're seeing around the country second-year coaches have some struggles. 
okay, we, we, we talked about Kirby Smart and the good situation he inherited there, but you're seeing some second-year coaches have a rough go of it, okay? So, I mean, Scott Frost in Nebraska. I know they played Ohio State. Ohio State's really good, but, but they also lost to Colorado. Second-year Scott Frost has not been great at Nebraska. Uh, even though they were preseason ranked, it's not gone particularly well there. We've seen what's happened at Florida State with Willie Taggart in year two. Some would say, well, it's Willie Taggart. He was bad in year one. But they, they haven't made really any improvement in year two. Jeremy Pruitt's one and three, which nobody saw coming in year two. What is it? Why is it harder for second year coaches? Or is it harder? I, don't is, think, I mean, I think it's all relative. I mean, I don't think it has it. I mean, I think it's all just about your situation. I mean, I don't think second year is, think is a common year. denominator. I mean, not when you look back. I mean, you can easily pluck out guys who have had big success in year two, like Kirby, or, or go back to Nick. Well, yeah, but the, 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 the unfortunate thing is I think is, it's all about your that, roster. Yeah, well, the unfortunate thing is, <laughs> is that – About your talent level. Yeah, and this is – we will see if Jeremy can buck this trend. But in the SEC specifically, uh, if you don't win – if you don't get to Atlanta in your second year, then the writing is kind of on oh, the wall. Oh, man, I just think I – would, I'd like to see the NFL draft – Picks off those teams that made Atlanta in your team. I, I understand, and that's how it's a very, it's a very, but it's, but it, it just shows you. I mean, it's you know, it's. Well, they were never making it to Atlanta in year two. Here. I understand, but my point is that's the uphill battle that some of these Unless second year coaches are fighting versus if you look at the past. Well, I mean, it's it just boils, it boils down. A, it boils down to whether a, a program or school is going to be patient. Yeah. I mean, like you know, if you got a team like Tennessee, Florida State, Nebraska, what do all three of those teams have in common? They were left with a whole lot of nothing. And then the thing, either Jesse or Brent, one of you two brought this up, and it makes sense. That early signing period, that they were the first guinea pig coaches that basically got hired and had 10 days to kind of fill out a class. You yep. know, how is that affecting their, their teams in year two? You know, because if they didn't have a whole lot on the roster to begin with, you probably weren't going to bring in a lot of great guys in that first class having 10 days. I well, mean, I, and it makes some sense. I'm not saying that that's the whole reason Tennessee won in three and lost That's that loss, Losing to Georgia State's inexcusable. But when you look at all three of those programs that you just talked about, maybe have a little of impact, you know, because all of a sudden you got half of a class that was kind of, yeah. Yeah, well, how many, how many sophomores on this team who are, who are true sophomores are making a real impact right now that were in that, in that class that – that Pruitt threw together to hurt it. Garland? Well, I mean, it's Bryce, it's Delonte, it's Garland. I mean, okay. they're playing a lot of those kids. Greg Emerson's playing a lot. Um, uh, 25. Trayvon. Trayvon, yeah. Uh, yeah, but he, but I mean. Tillman, but I mean, again, Tillman was a late ad. He had nothing. Right. You know. I mean, some of those guys there, but it, it's it's one of those things where it is it is hard I mean, you're not going to come in and have the but success because I mean, you haven't had six weeks to go recruit them. Yeah, and that's you know, the hard part of next year. Okay, you talked about you know Shroud leaving, you know Jay. Let's say JG's not back, and it's it's Brian Mauer and Harrison Bailey. I mean, that's hard on Harrison Bailey. Like, the pressure's on you, kid. I mean, that's why like them. Be but the, but that's to, the world we live in. It is, but I mean, I mean that's why you know getting in the Sam Howell come to North Carolina. Pressure's on you, kid. I mean, yeah. hey, you're a freshman. Yeah, and and and, no. and and there and there lies the other side of the the coin for all the Tennessee fans. They're like, they just were a two point conversion away from beating the number one team in the country, and it ain't like Mac had anything when he got there. And I think that's the biggest. But the difference is, is what Jesse was talking about. Year one, it's easier to sell the hope. I think year one's easier than year two. 
Now that now year two can be easier for some coaches if they inherited inherit a really good roster, as you were mentioned, which I think Kirby Smart is the guy who screws up the curve. Okay, he, he's he's the nerd who who made a hundred on the test when everybody else made a sixty. Okay, because of, because of the situation he inherited. I don't want to take anything away from Kirby Smart being a coach, but there could have been a lot of coaches go in there and find success because of they inherited a 10-win football team. He went from from 10-win football team got worse in year one to come back to almost won the national title in year two. And, and recruiting had not fallen off under no. Rick like it had here no, under Butch. I mean, I mean there, there was there was a talent. There was certainly a talent level. And they, I mean, as you said, I mean, they just they just moved on from you know a guy that could take them. To, like to ten wins and couldn't and just couldn't get over the hump. They felt like it was going downhill, or he couldn't get them where they needed to go. Jesse, and they made a move, and they, they got ahead of it, or they tried to be ahead of it. Is what they ended up trying to do. Um, yeah, I mean they they embraced the fact that they were good to at times really good, but were sitting on a on a place that could be great. I mean, and they decided to go all in. Yeah, I mean they decided, hey, Clemson's coming. We're not going to get left behind to the east. We're going to try to catch Alabama west of us. You know, Florida's are, are, are down a little bit. This is our window. We're going to run with it. And they have done that. They, they, have, jumped, they have jumped completely all in in terms of their investment into their program. Um, and, and given, you know, Kirby Smart's like an NFL coach who got GM responsibilities as well. I mean, he got, he got full control, which is something that, that was the only way he was going to well, take the job, and it's obviously paying off for him. I, I, you know, you guys may disagree with me here. I, I still, still think it all goes back to the trigger man. What would Georgia's record be? And I know Jacob Eason's a pretty good player, okay? But I think Fromm has just got a certain moxie to him. You know, when you find your guy and you've got him for three or four years and you, know, you hit on a quarterback, like, you know, let's take a look at Clemson. I mean, they've hit, hit, hit. I mean, you know, whenever you get that guy you don't hit on, to me that's when you kind of take a step back and then you've either got to – Figure it out, or you're going to keep going back, you know, on the escalator down. Well, the quarterback, the quarterback's the guy that gives you hope. I mean, you know, there's no question. Do I think that Georgia would be in the top four nationally if Justin Fields was their quarterback right now? I do. Fields, yes, but I I'm do. saying though, East, the and East, I think East Eason would have, I think Eason would have them in the top four or five. Okay. Because I think their defense is that good. Now, had you asked me that a year ago? I mean, there's a reason Jake Fromm won that job as a freshman yep. away from Eason because he was he had the moxie he had all those things. My point is where with where um, Georgia is defensively right now they can they could have a signal caller. Whereas at Alabama, if if you don't have Tua doing it, I'm not sure Alabama's where they're at right now because defensively they've taken a step back. And and to bring this kind of back to Tennessee in terms of what what what. What's been interesting this season in terms of quarterbacks, Tennessee, Garantano, you wonder if Cheney, and again, I mean, JG was effusive in his praise about Jim and this offense and, and all the, you know, the fire emojis and all the answers that he said, but you wonder if Jim thought that he could do what he was able to do with Fromm with all the checks and how, you know, putting so much on the quarterback's plate, if that has been something that I mean, you're the one that said, you know, a week ago at Florida, they should have just been looking at the sidelines. They did not do that. Do they do that Saturday? Because clearly, for whatever reason, JG has has taken a big step back from where he was a year ago. Well, I think it's a it's a great question, good point, Rob. I think part of this is the struggle for a coordinator in, in terms of what you can do and what you can't do is when a guy doesn't take it from 
the film room, the chalkboard, the practice field, to the game field. When you go through everything all week, and, and, and Coach Pruitt talked about this on Monday, and Jim talked about it in, in the preseason that you know that that Jerry can handle all this stuff. He's done well in the practice field. It hasn't translated to the game field. So you, you keep waiting for it to translate. And I'm not knocking on Tyler Bray, but when you put Tyler Bray in the lineup as a freshman, you knew what limitations you had in terms of what he could handle mentally. It was, hey, let's rely on his arm talent, and it became check with me. And let's play football that way. Whereas I think with Jared, the thought was we might be able to win and, and have some success because he could get us in the right play all the time. And I don't think that's translated from practice field to game field, no, which and, makes it hard. And I can totally see, I mean, we've all been around Jared enough. I mean, he's a smart kid. I, mean, I can totally see him sitting in the film room with Jim Chaney and Jim hitting pause and say, what do you, you know, what do you see? What do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And Jared rattled off all the right answers. And the, the problem is he just, he just can't process that information when he's, when he's under center and the live bullets are flying. So, I think we've seen enough sample size now to, to know that's, that's a that's a switch that is not getting flipped. He just doesn't have the feel. So what's the the question is what is Jim Cheney's answer to that? Well, because, I think it's because, got, it's because Brian be, Brown not ready to do that either. No, no, and I, that's why it's got to be the check with me. It's got it's got to be way more stuff that uh, simplifying the reads, the offense is calling the stuff from the sidelines. Um, I mean, what Pruitt went up there on Monday and said, you know, Fromm was a guy who he's never seen maybe ever as good at managing the game. Well, they we. With this offense, we have four, four game sample size of knowing that Garantano is not that. So that they, they, during the bye week, they better have found at least some sort of remedy for at least the pre-snap errors that are happening. Yeah, the quarterback gets too much credit, too much blame. He also gets all the conversation. So we'll talk about the Tennessee defense uh, and, and what they've got to do on Friday in this matchup with Georgia. Let's quickly jump to recruiting. Austin, you were talking about the the, the Whitehaven uh, situation and, and maybe Tennessee going all in there. They went a step further than even I think we thought they were going to go in our Friday podcast when we discussed this situation. Tennessee offers all three of those guys now. What does that mean for Tennessee's hopes of landing the trio um, out of Whitehaven and maybe the help with Omari Thomas there as well? Well, I think that they all three want to play together. There's no doubt about that. In fact, I think they all three had a conversation Friday night after you know, Tamarion got the offer from from, from uh, Tennessee, and uh, obviously he's committed to Mississippi State. Um, French is committed to Arkansas, um, but I do think that Tennessee will be a major player for all three, and uh, I think the uh, the fact that Jeremy Pruitt was the first head coach to come to one of their games this year made a huge impression on them, um, and uh, I think Tennessee's going all in there. Uh, it, obviously, I think you know those guys know Omari Thomas, um, especially Bryson Eason. I think that uh, does help them there as well. Jeremy Pruitt spent the first half at Whitehaven and then went to Briarcrest. Uh, before the game, he was over in West Memphis, Arkansas, seeing Chris Morris. Um, you know, so this is definitely a situation where Jeremy Pruitt and them have, I think, turned, I won't say all their attention, but a good portion of their attention to in-state players. Because I think when you look at the, the if you can hold on to what you have, and then, you know, you add the in-state crop of four-star Jay Hardy, four-star Tyler Barron, three kids at Whitehaven are four stars. Not that stars matter, I'm just saying quality people. Um, and then uh, obviously Omari Thomas and Chris Morris. You start rounding out your class you know, in, in pretty successful fashion. And then Tennessee's gotta find a, another running back in this class. 
I would probably look in the JUCO route to do that. Um, and, and then they're going to continue to fill in the receivers. Let me ask you this about the is, is the Whitehaven trio, is that a situation where Tennessee individually likes them better than they did back in the summer? Or is this a situation where they're like, look, we're going to have a hard time landing big fish around the country. Let's take the trio. They're okay. And maybe that trio will land us on Mari Thomas. I don't, Somewhere in the middle. Yeah, there you go. I don't think it's just like, well, we're, you know, we, we have to take them because we, we can't get these other big-time guys. I think it's, you know, every year, a year ago, they looked at some kids' film and they, they're like, oh, he's really playing well, or oh, he's not that good. You know, early, you know, first four or five games of senior year. I think they looked this year, French is playing better than, than they, they saw him play a year ago. Peaked interest. And then Pruitt watched Marion play Friday night and was like, Whoa, you know we. This is a kid we could play in multiple spots, and uh, now that I will, be, I will, and I said this on the podcast on Friday when talking about Tamarian. You know, with my naked eyes, I I thought he was the best high school player of the three. How does that translate to the next level? I do think there's still some questions there because he is kind of a tweener. Yeah, whereas um, the other two are just big. Yeah, and and so, but if you know, Tennessee staff now. I think it helps that he's teammates with two other guys that they want, or teammates with another guy that they want. Um, and then there's but hey, this, is, this, kind of, this kind of goes to my Reggie Grimes argument that this this football team, as currently constructed, just doesn't have enough dudes that can run down the field and hit people. So you know, if you're using one of those 25 spots for that, if they can become a, a, a special teams weapon that plays 10 snaps on defense, that that pays for itself like that you know you know what i'm saying like in a scholarship that it that may sound like small potatoes but in terms of what you're getting out of some other guys that are currently on the roster even some guys that perhaps you've signed uh i mean that that it, it's a it's a gamble worth taking and the other thing is just development i mean you know i mean look at justin coleman i mean that guy has morphed into the best nickel in the nfl and when he was here he routinely got beat he just self-driven, motivated, coached up once he got in the league and, and has kind of realized some potential. Who's to say that some of these high school kids can't do the same thing here with the staff? So um, in, in my mind, I think you can't sign 25 from this state. But with the situation they're in and the guys that are on the board, they could still land out of the state. You're crazy not to go after all of them and, and try to you know get as many as you can. I mean, Grimes is another perfect example. How much of this is a, le- a bit in one of three changes that, okay, if they were three and one, they'd be still talking about West Coast kids, although we saw Savelle Smalls, that was never going to happen. Tennessee would be three and one right now, four and oh right now. He ain't coming to, he, he not coming to the to the Southeast. Well, I, as Jesse pointed out before the podcast started, you I mean, know, Washington wasn't even in the top six right. three weeks ago. Right. So, I mean, all that, of a sudden. That, Ultimately, yeah. that kid was not leaving the West Coast, which we know that that's not the easiest thing to do. My point, my question is, how much of this is a learning experience from last year because they did try to swing back around on Joseph Anderson <laughs> too late, and they had ignored him for such a long period of time? It should be a learning experience. You know, but, but how much is it a learning experience? I think it's think? a big one. I mean, you know, I, I think that that's why you, you can't wait. I mean, like, if you, if you have – any kind of inkling that you should go down that road, you should go ahead and go down that road. Because, you know, what, what makes, you know, I, I guess what Tamarion, Mississippi State's probably a little better. I mean, Arkansas is, you know, I know they played Texas A&M Tough Saturday, but they're equally as big a dumpster fire as Tennessee is. Um, you know, so, I mean, that's, to me, it, 
you have to do that. You have to learn from what you did a year ago. You look up, and I mean, Savion Williams is, you know, and, and Darrell looks great coming off the bus, but, you know, don't you wish you had Joseph Anderson instead of one, one of those two guys? I mean, I personally think Joseph Anderson's a guy that, you know, will end up being a really good player for South Carolina, and he's going to be there for four years. You're going to have these other guys for two. All right, let's uh, go to visits this weekend. Reggie Graham's supposed to be here for his official. What, what else are we looking at? I know it's early in the week. We have much more on Friday, but what else are we looking at? Trying to get that old Memphis crew here. Yeah, well, you know, Whitehaven's off this week because they couldn't find a tenth game. So this is not their bye week, but it ends up being a bye week. So they're trying to get that whole crew here, which includes Omari Thomas. Omari was going to come officially, but then they said, hey, let's, let's hold off and come officially later. Right. You know, um, so trying, trying to get a lot Bryce of Bryson Eason told me Sunday night he will officially visit Tennessee later in the year. But they're um, trying to get him here unofficially. They're trying to get him unofficially here this weekend along with all three of those kids. I don't think Chris Morris comes in this weekend. Maybe. I think it's more likely that he comes in for the South Carolina game. He will visit Texas A&M officially next week uh, when Tennessee plays Mississippi State. A&M plays Bama. And then, uh, and then I think probably late October, early November for a decision for Chris Morris based off what I was told last night. All right, so we'll see who comes in this weekend on the football front. Rob, on the basketball front, everybody knows who's coming in. Big weekend for Tennessee. Opportunities for Tennessee fans to see this basketball team on Friday night. And, uh, you know, they'll have some recruits in the house watching that one as well. It's a big weekend for this basketball program. Huge. Jaden Springer, I mean, the guy they've been chasing for I mean, since his freshman year, I mean, making his official visit this weekend, it's the last one. He visited Michigan early, visited Memphis, canceled two other trips, North Carolina and Florida. You know, a lot of people, including myself, think Tennessee's the, the team to beat. And I think a good visit this weekend, I think they lock it down. And I think good chance you hear something pretty quickly. They're bringing in the two other commitments, Corey Walker, Keon Johnson, so all those guys can spend time together. They already have a relationship. They talked. They've got you know, a little group chat thing going. They, they've been talking about playing together. And I think barring a surprise, I think Tennessee's going to end up with their you know, third top 30 commitment in the, in the 2020 class, which is going to be pretty remarkable if it happens. Now, you know, crazy things happen in recruiting, but I, right now I think Tennessee's in really good shape. And as for this current team, they continue to wait on uh, Euros on news there. But you had some stuff in the war room uh, about this team and – it seems like Rick Barnes likes the mentality of this team. I don't know if he likes the full makeup of all the parts that he has. Does he have enough size, all those things. But from a mentality standpoint, the carryover from what those guys who left sort of created here seems to be there, thanks to Bowden and Lamonte. Turner. Loves the work ethic, loves the attitude. And, you know, I think the, the attitude, I mean, starts with, with Bowden and Turner, but it also gets reflected in the kind of kids they recruit. I mean, Rick bringing in guys at this stage of his career that he's not going to enjoy coaching and if he does make a mistake they don't stay long i mean look i mean we, we've seen right we've seen a lot of guys rolling it out of here and uh yeah i think I, i've said a lot i think people around this program quietly think this team's gonna be a lot better than they're gonna be perceived to be from the outside and i'm they're not gonna be ranked number one for a month but i, I think they're gonna be highly competitive in the sec i think they'll be ranked and I think it'll be a fun season. But depending on a lot will depend on what they get out of the post play. We'll have much more on Tennessee basketball, obviously recruiting big this weekend. Uh, first chance to see them a little bit on Friday, and then plenty of coverage with basketball coming up in the coming weeks as well. As won't be long before they'll tip that off into exhibition play and scrimmage action and all those things. But for now, it's Tennessee and Georgia, 
and uh, the Volunteers with an uphill battle to try to pull off an upset uh, in Neyland Stadium. We'll continue to cover that throughout the week, and we'll talk to you again Friday on our Friday edition of the podcast, but that's going to do it for the Tuesday installment. For Jesse Simonton, Austin Price, and Rob Lewis, I'm Brett Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great Tuesday, everybody.